On Wednesday morning, President Trump tweeted out his most important defense to accusations about Donald Trump Jr. attempting to collude with the Russian government. Hey, but Hillary, he tweeted, why aren't the same standards placed on the Democrats? Look what Hillary Clinton may have gotten away with. Disgraceful. This has become the all-purpose alibi for Republican malfeasance. Some call it whataboutism. What about Hillary Clinton? What about the media? What about Bill Clinton or Teddy Kennedy? There's a raging debate on the right about the nature of this defense. Is it just excuse-making for bad behavior? Or is it a legitimate reminder that politics is a dirty game and that we don't choose the rules of engagement? This morning, Byron York of the Washington Examiner explained, another word for whataboutism is precedent. This seems kind of inadequate. Whataboutism actually takes three basic forms, some of them useful, some of them counterproductive. Let's run through them. First, reminders of leftist dishonesty. When Trump tweets out that Hillary Clinton may have gotten away with bad behavior, he's at least partially reminding the media and the Democrats that they were fine with Hillary's bad behavior. When conservatives spent much of yesterday reminding the media that Barack Obama pledged flexibility to the Russians in exchange for them backing off their aggression in the final days of the 2012 election, they were doing so in order to point out the media's obvious leftist bias. That's important and it's worthwhile, but it should be made explicit. Second, Whataboutism can be a reminder of proportionality. Sometimes whataboutism takes the form of reminding people that something isn't that big a deal. Seemingly, the entire left went ballistic this week when it first heard about a House rule that forbade bare arms in the Capitol. The right promptly recommended, reminded the left that this rule existed under Nancy Pelosi too. It wasn't a big, den, big deal then, it's not a big deal now. Third, moral relativism. Now this is the dangerous form of whataboutism. It's also the most common. This is the actual message underlying Trump's tweet. Hillary got away with it, so why shouldn't I be able to get away with it? This ignores two crucial facts. First, Hillary did not get away with it. She lost the election. It's why she's not in the White House. Second, wrong is wrong. The right now engages in a fantasy, whereby the left's dishonesty somehow justifies conservative dishonesty. Hey, if Hillary's corrupt, what's the big problem with the Trump campaign soliciting information from the Russian government? In this case, whataboutism is itself dishonesty. It's pretending to care about the sins of the left in order to justify the sins of the right. It actually throws into sharp relief the hypocrisy of the right. We complained endlessly and justifiably about Loretta Lynch meeting secretly with Bill Clinton, but we're fine with Donald Trump Jr. meeting secretly with Natalia Veselnitskaya, and we're supposed to believe everything he says about it. We ripped President Obama's flexibility hot mic moment, but we're fine with President Trump saying that America has killed people just like Putin. We correctly targeted Clinton over Chinagate, but now we're happy to use Chinagate as an excuse to avoid talking about Russiagate. This isn't conservative. It's not even moral. Kindergartners, le kindergartners learn that, learn that, but he did it too, isn't an excuse for bad behavior. We should know this stuff. The right often embraces this form of whataboutism because many people believe that fighting the left requires tossing out morality in, of means in favor of morality of ends. Fight fire with fire. Since that was the animating principle behind a lot of conservative support for the Trump campaign, this form of whataboutism has also become the most common form. Many on the right say this isn't actually moral relativism. Relativism implies there's no moral answer to any given question, whereas situational morality says there is a moral answer, but it changes based on the fact pattern. Therefore, it might normally be wrong to collude with Russia, for example, but it's a moral imperative to do so to stop Hillary Clinton. After all, we had to side with Stalin to defeat Hitler. We might have to side with Putin to stop ISIS. The problem is that this invites an obvious temptation. If you can turn the other side into Hitler, you can make excuses for siding with Stalin. In the game of politics, few are willing to honestly assess the moral quality of their opposition and the rules of engagement. It's far more politically profitable to define all political enemies as Nazis and then suggest it's okay to punch them. This is just as true for the left as it is for the right. Far more true for the left, actually. It's always easier to win if you side with Stalin, even if you could win without siding with Stalin. The temptation, therefore, is to demonize the other side so you can side with 
with Stalin, even if you don't need to. We ought to be careful about how we use whataboutism. The goal should be to reinforce moral standards, not to undermine them. But that goal seems to be receding into the distance as we use whataboutism as a club directed at destroying principle rather than a shield for defending it. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, we are going to fully analyze everything having to do with Trump Jr. and his treason and the Russians. We're going to get to all of that. Plus, do you see this magical cup? I've been informed. I must show this cup to you as often as possible. This unbelievable tumbler. Okay, it's not like Batman's tumbler, but it is just almost as cool. It's an incredible tumbler. This incredible tumbler can be yours, but I'll explain later on the show why that is. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about everything Trump Jr. related. We're going to go through the tape. We're going to talk about Democrats completely losing their minds over this as they have lost their mind over everything so far. We'll go through all of that. But before we do that, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Helix Sleep. So you are a unique human being. You don't walk like everybody else. You don't talk like everybody else. Why should you sleep like everybody else? Your mattress should be custom made for you. HelixSleep.com makes sure that happens. You answer a few simple questions when you go to helixsleep.com. They run a 3D biomechanical model of your body through an algorithm they've designed with the help of the world's leading ergonomic and biomechanics experts. And it is the most comfortable mattress you've ever slept on. We had a more expensive mattress, actually. And then we got our Helix Sleep mattress. We took that other mattress. We put it in the other room because our Helix Sleep mattress is so good. You can even get a Helix Sleep mattress that has two separate sides to it. So if you and your spouse have different preferences in mattress, then you can still share one mattress, but the two sides sleep a little bit differently. They send it to your house. You take it out of the box. It inflates right away because it's a foam mattress and you can just use it. It's really, really cool. Everybody from GQ to Forbes are talking about Helix Sleep, and and Helix customers report 30% improvement in overall sleep quality. You also have 100 nights to try it out. So if you don't like it, you can send it back, and they will give you a 100% refund. So it is a risk-free proposition. Go to helixsleep.com slash Ben, and you get $50 off your order. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Again, that's helixsleep.com slash Ben, and that ensures that you get 50 bucks off your order, plus they know that we sent you. Okay, so Last night, Donald Trump Jr. appears on Sean Hannity's program. And there are five big questions about the Donald Trump Jr. meeting with the Russian story. So as you recall, yesterday, these blockbuster emails are released by Donald Trump Jr. on Twitter. And he wasn't doing it out of the goodness of his heart, okay? Trump said, my son is so, he's unbelievable, transparency, unbelievably. You can see through him, he's like a glass of water. You can see right through him. Unbelievable people. Okay, but... It turns out the reason that he revealed the emails was because eight minutes later, the New York Times ran a story on the email. So he knew the New York Times was going to reveal the story, so he threw the emails out there. The problem is that the emails said explicitly that Rob Goldstone, who is that weirdo who we played on the show yesterday, this publicist weirdo who talks about Andy's Arby or whatever whatever it is, uh, he, that guy brokered a meeting between Trump Jr. and a Russian-connected lawyer whom he said was a Russian government lawyer. And he also said this is part of Russia's effort to support Mr. Trump. This is a direct quote from the email, quote, part of Russia and its government support for Mr. Trump. So the left immediately jumped to, this is the collusion. The collusion has happened. Collusion has occurred. Trump Jr. saw this, and he said he loved it, and then he brought in Manafort, and he brought in Kushner, and this is where the collusion began. The evil planning in the back rooms to decide how to militarize all of Hillary Clinton's seized emails from WikiLeaks and and John Podesta's seized emails from WikiLeaks. Okay. That is not what actually the email showed. What the email showed was attempted collusion. Okay, first of all, no, collusion is a term of art. It is not a term of law. Collusion is not a crime. There's no crime called collusion. There's a crime called conspiracy. 
to commit a crime, but there is no crime called collusion. Okay, not when it comes to this kind of stuff. So when people say collusion and you go, ooh, he'll end up behind bars. No, no, you actually have to commit a crime under statute in order for you to end up behind bars. So it can still be bad. It can still be wrong. It can still be a political problem. It can still be an impeachment problem for President Trump if the Democrats ever, God forbid, got control of the House of Representatives. But it is not actual legal crime. Okay, this is not legal crime. So we can put that to the side. But what the Democrats were saying is that this was the beginning of actual collusion. This is where they started coordinating. Okay, well, there's no proof that actual coordination actually happened because all of the people in the meeting came out and said, that was worthless. The lady didn't even have any information. There are a couple of threats that exist, even if the information was worthless. Threat number one was that this was sort of the opener that the Russian government now knew that the Trump campaign was willing to hear more stuff. And so maybe there would be collusion down the road, but we haven't found any evidence of that. Threat number two is that now that there's been this meeting, they can hold that over Trump's head, right? They could, the Russians could hold this over Trump's head and they could say, anytime we want, we can drop the information that you were quasi colluding with us or trying to collude with us and destroy your presidency. But now the information has been dropped. So the threat is a little bit gone unless there are more shoes to drop. But there are some outstanding questions that I want to go through about this particular meeting. And I think they actually do require answers now because they are things that the Trump is going to be asked and the Trump administration are going to be asked. So number one, did any information actually pass hand? So everybody at the meeting, as I say, Kushner, Paul Manafort, the then campaign manager, uh, the uh, Trump Jr., uh, Vesel Nitskaya, uh, Natasha, Natalia, whatever her name is, all of them say no information changed hands. The problem is you wouldn't expect them to say differently. Right? Who in that meeting is going to say, yeah, they gave us a bunch of information about Hillary Clinton, then we used it? No one's going to say that, right? Vessel Nitskaya would have to then admit that she was basically an agent of the Russian government, and the other three people in the room would actually be in danger of prosecution if the information was illegally obtained. So none of them are actually going to say it, and they all have a little bit of a history of dishonesty with this particular matter. Manafort has been uh, a Kremlin stooge for years. Uh, the I mean, like going back to 2012, there, there was a guy who approached me about working with Manafort uh, and uh, was basically posing him as a stooge of the Ukrainian government at the time. So this is not any sort of great shock. At that time, the Ukrainian government was in league with, with Vladimir Putin. Uh, Trump Jr. had fibbed about the meeting. He said it didn't take place. Then he said it did take place, but we talked adoption. And then finally, he admitted what the meeting was about. Kushner did not put on his forms that this meeting ever took place. So maybe that was oversight. Maybe it was dishonesty, but it at least calls trust into question. And we have no idea who this vessel in the sky lady is, right? I mean, she says she's not a Russian agent, but there's evidence to suggest that she is a Russian, what they call a cutout, which is to say somebody who works for the Russian government but has plausible deniability. So we just don't know if any information was passed in this meeting. And the reason that I say this is because, you know, if you, if you look back to, like, here's Trump Jr. This is clip three. Trump Jr. talking about what happened in the meeting. Did, do you tell your father anything about this? No. Uh, it was such a nothing. There was nothing to tell. I mean, I wouldn't have even remembered it until you start scouring through the stuff. It was, it was literally just a wasted 20 minutes, which was a shame. Okay, so it's a wasted 20 minutes. Now, this is believable, right? I mean, like, he looks like he's telling the truth here. But I will just remind you that Hillary Clinton said this about Loretta Lynch's meeting with Bill Clinton. They talked about grandkids, which is very much on our minds these days. Uh, golf, uh, their mutual friend, former Attorney General Janet Reno. It was purely social. They uh, did not uh, veer off of uh, speaking about those kinds of, you know, very common uh, uh, exchanges. Okay, so I'm not suggesting that Donald Trump Jr. is definitely lying because I don't know whether he's lying or not. What I will say is that if Hillary Clinton had done the exact same thing, we would have said, there's no way she's telling the truth, right? Bill Clinton and Loretta Lynch don't get together in a room 
in the middle of the campaign to talk about grandkids, right? We all said this. This is complete nonsense. And it turns out that it did compromise the investigation in, in such a way that James Comey felt the necessity to actually get himself involved in the investigation where he had no place. If we're going to hold the standard that we don't know what happens behind closed doors and we have to be suspicious, my feeling is that we have to be pretty consistent about this. So that's question number one. Did any information actually change hands? Because that would actually be successful collusion, not just attempted collusion. Second, who approved Donald Trump Jr.'s statement? So on Saturday, and I know, listen, I'm trying to give you the most honest take I can here. So as I say, no crime was committed. It's not clear to me that Donald Trump Jr. Uh, did anything, you know, legally. Uh, well, I don't think he did anything wrong, uh, legally wrong anyway. Uh, it's not treason, as the left is proclaiming. But to pretend that this is a big nothing burger is being dishonest, I think. And when people say it's a nothing burger, it's because they're not actually taking an even quasi-objective look at this. Okay, so on Saturday, Donald Trump Jr. released a statement about this particular meeting. And here's what he said. He said, quote, it was a short introductory meeting. I asked Jared and Paul to stop by. We primarily discussed a program about the adoption of Russian children that was active and popular with American families years ago and was since ended by the Russian government, but it was not a campaign issue at the time, and there was no follow-up. I was asked to attend the meeting by an acquaintance, but was not told the name of the person I would be meeting with beforehand. So all of this is technically true, right? All of that's technically true, but it misses the two main points, which is the meeting was specifically held to pass on dirt about Hillary Clinton, and second, Trump Jr. fully expected that he was going to be meeting a Russian government lawyer. He didn't know her name, but it said right in the email that this is going to be a Russian government lawyer. So the problem is the New York Times is reporting that the White House pre-approved Trump Jr.'s statement on Saturday which looks more like a cover-up than it does like an attempt to be transparent. If Trump Jr. had just released the statement, that'd be one thing. But for the White House to approve a statement that it knew was false and was going to be debunked within 72 hours, not a good look for the White House. Okay, and then there's the biggest question of all, which is, did Trump himself know about the meeting? And the, everybody at the meeting says no. Um, you know, Trump Jr. says no. It's a little hard for me to believe that Trump was completely out of the loop. Uh, given the fact that, again, all of his top campaign officials were in a room with this lady for half an hour, two days after he had secured the nomination. But it's possible. It's possible they had this meeting and they didn't tell him. Uh, it's possible that they wanted to shield him, actually. They wanted to have the preliminary meeting, and then if it had turned into something, maybe they go talk with Trump. The left is trotting out this video, just so you know. They're trotting out this video. On June 7th, that's when Donald Trump Jr. confirmed the meeting with the Russian official source, supposedly, uh, that was going to pass on this devastating information about Hillary Clinton that night, like four hours later, here is what Donald Trump said on the campaign trail. It's clip 15. I am going to give a major speech on probably Monday of next week, and we're going to be discussing all of the things that have taken place with the Clintons. I think you're going to find it very informative and very, very interesting. Okay, so there are a lot of people saying he never gave this speech. Right, everybody, I remember when he said this. Everybody was expecting him to give this big barn burner of a speech where he tore down Hillary Clinton. He never gave it. So people were suggesting that maybe what happened here is that Jared and, and Trump Jr. called him up and said, hey, Pops, we're going to get some information, and you're going to want to hear this information. And Trump got out in front of himself. That's definitely a possibility, but that's correlation, not causation. Again, no proof that Trump knew about what was going on here. Okay, this brings into question, this is the fourth question about this, and that is, why did Trump fire Comey? So... My theory and my working theory, it's still my working theory, is that Trump fired Comey because he knows that he's innocent and he's ticked off that James Comey wouldn't say that he was innocent, even though privately James Comey was saying he wasn't under investigation. Because of this email, there's another plausible theory that's now gaining ground because the counter theory to that was Trump fired Comey because he was getting too close. I never believed that because there was no there there. It's hard to believe that Trump was going to fire him over a big nothing, right? Maybe he fired him because he was mad, but to fire him for getting close to something that doesn't exist seems weird. 
But because of Trump Jr.'s involvement now, it's possible that you know Trump tried to fire Comey because maybe he was trying to protect Donald Jr. This is the theory the left is trying to put forward now. Do I believe that theory? No, I don't think there's enough evidence for that theory at all. But I'm just informing you of what the left's theory with regard to Comey would be. Like, why was it so innocent? Why was it so urgent that Trump wanted Comey to announce that he wasn't under FBI investigation, except that maybe he was scared that it was going to get close to Donald Jr.? Okay, final question, and this one is, uh, is the most interesting, I think, is who leaked the news of this meeting in the first place? So this meeting only had four people in it, right? It had the, the Russian, and then it had three of Trump's campaign officials, all of whom are still working for Trump. So, or Manafort isn't, but he has no interest in revealing this meeting because it cuts against his attempts to distance himself from his Russian connections. So who actually leaked the, the news of the meeting to the New York Times? Apparently, they've been working on this for months. What, what exactly drove all of this? The most obvious source is obviously Corey Lewandowski. So Corey Lewandowski was technically still the campaign manager at the time. He wasn't fired until June 20th, and he hates Manafort because Manafort took his place. He feels like Manafort ousted him. He does not like Kushner because he thinks that Ivanka ousted him, and he's not a huge fan of Donald Jr., from what I understand, because Donald Jr. was present at his firing. So Lewandowski has a lot of interest in revealing all of this stuff to hurt the other three, and then Trump was talking about flirting with Lewandowski, bringing him in, bringing him back. That'd be some pretty hard-nosed ball from, from Corey Lewandowski leaking news of this meeting that could definitely damage Trump. Lewandowski has, of course, denied knowing anything about the meeting, but he was the campaign manager at that time, right? This is two weeks before he was fired. He was campaign manager at the time, so it's quite possible he was even copied on the emails. Here's the bottom line. This whole thing opens a can of worms the Trump administration did not want open. It's going to be very difficult to close that can of worms, particularly when the credibility for Don Jr. has been so shot on this particular meeting. Now, do I think that this is all a distraction from Trump's legislative agenda? Absolutely. Do I think the media are overselling it? Yeah, I do, because instead of treating this as the first step or treating this as a case of we now have motive, but no, we don't have means or opportunity yet, the media is treating this as the smoking gun, right? This is the be all end all. And it is bad. I mean, I'm not going to pretend it's not bad. But it is not everything the media is cracking it up to be. Now, I want to go through what Trump Jr. actually had to say about this in just a second. But before I do that, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at the USCCA. So you're at home, it's late at night, and suddenly you hear somebody trying to bust through your front door. So you go to your safe, and you take out your gun, and the person busts through and you shoot them. What do you do now? So everybody's story sort of ends with, and that's when I shot the guy coming through my front door. But the reality is the police will then come and they will probably arrest you, right? They will take you away. At the very least, they'll question you. It will eat up years of your life. It will cost you thousands of dollars. It, anytime you're in a shooting situation, you're going to spend enormous time and money dealing with it. That's why you need to talk to my friends over at the USCCA, the U.S. Concealed Carry Association. Right now, the USCCA has made part of their mission how to protect you after the shooting. So not only do they educate you and train you about guns and how to use them and when to use them. They make sure that you are legally and financially protected for after you pull the trigger. That's the USCCA. And right now, they're still doing this deal even post-4th of July. They're doing the Great American Giveaway. They want my listeners to know about it. In honor of July 4th, which just happened last week, they are giving away $1,776 worth of guns and ammo of your choice. $1,776, right? $1,776 worth of guns and ammo of your choice. And they're picking five winners. You can have a chance to be one of those winners one of those five winners at defendmyfamilynow.com, defendmyfamilynow.com. And that'll give you all the information about the USCCA. You should join up and give them your information, and then you're registered to win that $1,776 in guns and ammo. So go check it out, defendmyfamilynow.com. You can check that out 
right now. And again, USCCA is just a fantastic group. You should definitely be involved with them. Okay, so let's go through what Trump Jr. actually said. So he was on Hannity. Hannity is, uh, is the friendly press outlet that the Trump administration goes to when they have a problem because they know they're not going to get a lot of hardballs, which is fine. I mean, Obama did the same thing with CNN and MSNBC for legitimately years. Uh, so Trump Jr. Uh, said that he would have done some things differently, which seems like the understatement of the century. Like I said, in retrospect, I probably would have done things a little differently. Again, this is before the Russia mania. This is before they were building it up in the press. For me, this was opposition research. They had something, you know, maybe concrete evidence to all the stories I'd been hearing about, but they were probably underreported for, you know, years, not just during the campaign. So I think I wanted to hear it out, but really it, it went nowhere. And it was apparent that that wasn't what the meeting was actually about. Okay, so basically here he is just Joe Bluth, right? Joe Bluth from Arrested Development. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> there are a lot of comparisons being made to uh, between Joe Bluth and, and Don Jr. Uh, last night. He would have done some things differently. Yeah, that would have been good. I mean, first of all, if you're going to engage in this sort of subterfuge, then perhaps you shouldn't put it in open emails. That seems like not a good way to do it. Uh, Trump Jr. then says, if there had been anything illegal, I would have gone to the authorities right away. I, I said it earlier, 100%, I would bring it to the proper authorities. So there's nothing that I would do to ever endanger this country. I think the reason we fought so hard uh, during this campaign, whether it was my father and the work that he put into it, whether it was the rest of our family and the efforts that we put into it, and you know those efforts well, it's because we'd do anything for this country. So we're never going to put that in jeopardy, ever. So, okay, so uh, the other comparison that's being made with, uh, with Don Jr. today is, of course, Fredo Corleone. That uh, if, if, if Donald is, is the Don, then, uh, then unfortunately Don Jr. is Fredo. I'm your older brother, Mike, and I was stepped over. That's the way Pop wanted it. It ain't the way I wanted it. I can handle things. I'm smart. Not like everybody says. Like dumb. I'm smart and I want respect. <laughs> so... Yeah, it hasn't been a good 24 hours for, for Don Jr. Again, so now I want to go to what the Democrats are saying about all of this, because what the Democrats are saying about all of this is full-scale nutty. So as I say, I think that there's a little more nuance than the de than Democrats are saying. Number one, it is attempted collusion, okay? To pretend anything otherwise is stupid. It is attempted collusion because clearly there was willingness on the part of the Trump campaign to meet with a Russian government official or what they perceive to be a Russian government official to pass on Hillary's information. I'm going to talk about whether that's moral or not in a second, whether that's okay or not in a few minutes, because that is the, the lurking question underneath all of this, is how far is the right willing to go to defeat Hillary Clinton and the Democrats? Is that okay? Is it okay to work with the Russian government to take down Hillary Clinton? Because... I'm already starting to see the, the shades of Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men. You damn right I ordered the code red. You know, that's like we're, we're almost there. We're almost to the point where there are a bunch of people on the right who are basically saying, okay, so fine, so there was collusion. What do I care? He won, didn't he? Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. But the Democrats are, are, of course, doing what they always do, which is blowing this way out of proportion. It's one of the reasons why Americans can't take all of this super seriously because they're not waiting for the evidence. So Tim Kaine, as you recall, the vice presidential candidate, one of the most quickly forgotten vice presidential candidates in human history, actually. You recall that he ran against Hillary, he ran with Hillary Clinton, um, and it was basically Hillary Clinton and this, and this bag of white paint. And so that was the bag of white paint being Tim Kaine. Here is, here is Tim Kaine talking about how this is treason, treason. You think this What's is treason? treason? That, the, the investigation, it, it's not, 
uh, nothing is proven yet, but it, we're, we're now beyond obstruction of justice in terms of what's being investigated. This is moving into perjury, false statements, uh, and even into potentially treason. Okay, into treason. Here's the constitutional definition of treason. Article 3, Section 3. Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. Um, no, we're, okay, we're not actually going to send Don Jr. to the electric chair over having a meeting in Trump Tower with a lawyer who had no information as far as we know. So that's just awesome. Uh, so, so, yes, the Democrats are, are, of course, making mockeries of themselves because they cannot take a win. They cannot just sit there and take a win. They, of course, have to blow it out of proportion to make asses of themselves. We'll talk more about that. Plus, Joe Scarborough saying that he is leaving the Republican Party. Oh, but for that, you're going to have to go over to DailyWire.com and become a subscriber. For $9.99 a month, you can become a subscriber at DailyWire.com. Get the rest of the video live, uh, and uh, you, can, you can ensure that... Uh, you also get to be part of the mailbag on Fridays, which we do live. You get to see Andrew Clavin's show live. You get to see Michael Knowles, God help us, is going to have a show live. Uh, and, uh, and you're going to get to see that as well. Uh, you also, if you become an annual subscriber right now for $99 a year, so not $9.99 a month, right? $99 a year, which is a pretty hefty discount. You get annual subscription plus you get this. I told you how you could get this. You get this magnificent tumbler, this creation of the gods in which you can drink nectar and be replenished. You see right here, it says on it, leftist tears, hot or cold, because the leftist tears are indeed delicious and you can warm them up. You can keep them here. You can keep it in your car. It is dishwasher safe. It is amazing. So this can be yours with just an annual subscription of $99. The Tumblr, the leftist tears, hot or cold. So go and check that out. If you just want to listen to the show later, then you can go to iTunes or SoundCloud. Make sure that you subscribe and leave us a, leave us a, um, a comment and leave us a review. We always appreciate it. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. So, now is, of course, a perfect time for the right to virtue signal. So there are a bunch of people on the right who have decided that now is the time to virtue signal. See, we told you so about Trump. Okay, listen, I'm one of the people who was very, to, to put it mildly, I was rather Trump skeptical during the election cycle, if you recall all the way back then. But I don't think this is an I told you so moment. I don't think this is an, you know, all the people who voted for Trump, you were, you were so wrong because see what he's doing now. No, I think everybody who voted for Trump basically knew what they were getting. And what they were getting was a guy who was this, right? I don't think this is a, a huge, enormous shock. I, I think that, you know, this is, this is basically you bought what you paid for. And maybe it was better than Hillary Clinton, but it comes along with some baggage. And you have to recognize that. One of the great ironies is Joe Scarborough over on MSNBC. He says that he is done with the Republican Party. He's leaving. He and Mika, they've had it. They're leaving. Mika was never a member of the Republican Party, but he's on with Stephen Colbert, one of the great schmucks in Showtime. Uh, and, uh, and, here is, uh, and here is Joe Scarborough, who apparently decided to copy the hairstyle of Andrew Garfield from any number of movies um, and or to simply get out of the shower, rub his hair with a towel and or substitute a Brillo pad for his hair. He's got the Jufro going, actually. Here is, here is, he's not even Jewish and he's got the Jufro going. Here is uh, Joe Scarborough explaining why he's leaving the Republican Party like any of us truly care desperately. What do you think is happening with your own party? Well, I, think it's, I, I think it's inexplicable. I, but, but this Hold on, is well pause before for a Donald... Is it inexplicable, Joseph A. Scarborough? Is it truly inexplicable, Josephina H. H. Scarborough? Is it? You spent the entire election cycle pumping up Donald Trump. 
You spent the election cycle talking about how the American people just didn't get the appeal of Donald Trump. You had him on your show every morning. You had him call in. You sat in a room with him during the primary results coming in, and you chortled with him. And now you turn around and, oh, he's so mean because he was mean to Mika's face. Oh, okay, so as I say, everyone knew what they were getting. There are very few surprises in politics. If you are surprised by anything that is currently going on with the Trump White House, let me suggest that you were blinding yourself to reality before you did any of this stuff. And the same is true for Joe Scarborough. But I thought Donald Trump was my best friend. He wasn't your best friend, dude. Okay, I thought that the Republicans were all going to turn on him. Really, you didn't. But here's Joe Scarborough, uh, a three-term congressperson who's made a fortune uh, being an iconoclast. And and here he is talking about how he's going to leave the Republican Party. Maybe he'll start his own party, the Joe and Mika wedding party. It'll be awesome. Trump was elected president that my party has betrayed their core values. Time and time and time again, they turn the other way. And they're doing the same thing now. And it's, it's actually disgusting. And you have to ask yourself, what exactly is the Republican Party willing to do? How far are they willing to go? How much of this country and our values are they willing to sell out? But aren't you a Republican? Um, I am a Republican, but I'm not going to be a Republican anymore. I've, I've, I've got to become an independent. Yay! And the crowd goes nuts. So thank you for that virtue signaling, Joe Scarborough. Not, you're, you're not going to stay inside the Republican Party and fight for the soul of it, if you really think all these things. You're not going to try and correct the mistakes. You're not going to try and win people over to your side. You're going to leave the Republican Party altogether. And this is what the left wants, right? What the left actually wants, what they are calling for, is for everyone who doesn't like the stuff that they are seeing from Trump, right? And I don't like the stuff I'm seeing from Trump Jr. I don't like a lot. I mean, I think I've been pretty clear about when I think Trump is good and when he's bad, right? We've done good Trump, bad Trump for nigh on two years at this point. So I've been pretty clear about this. My goal is to make Trump a better president at this point. My goal is to make the conservative movement a better conservative movement at this point. It isn't to leave and dump all over the movement because I have to signal to everybody what a swell guy I am. The left keeps saying, well, if you really want to resist Trump, why don't you resist his agenda? Well, when his agenda is wrong, I will resist it. But if you, if you think that I'm going to want to raise taxes and increase Medicaid spending because I think that Trump is sometimes a jerk and I think that Trump may be, sometimes be corrupt, if you think that that, like, I just want to know, when was the last time a Democrat left Bill Clinton's agenda behind because Bill Clinton was a sleazy scumbag? Like, when was, when was the last time the Democrats decided, you know what, I can't take all these lies from Obama, I'm becoming a Republican? That's not what people do. Okay, so this is just a way to please that crowd over at Stephen Colbert. So virtue signaling from people like Joe Scarborough. So how is the right responding to all of this? There are really four approaches on the right to all of this. Approach number one is to focus on the legality. People saying, listen, this is not illegal, okay? No matter what you say, this is not illegal. So Jeffrey Tubin, who's not even on the right, he, he is a, he's a lefty legal commentator on CNN. He makes the point, and he is correct, this is not illegal activity by Donald Trump Jr. as far as we know. How serious is this, these emails from a legal perspective? It's certainly very, very serious, but it's also important to say, you know, there is a long way to go. And these emails in and of themselves are not proof of of any crimes. Two things to think about. One is it is a crime for campaign officials to solicit anything of value from a foreign government. So the question is, was anything solicited here of value? Were that were emails solicited? Was hacking solicited? That is a question investigators will want to explore. The other issue is that Jared Kushner, who is now a very high White House official, he's copied on these emails. The question is, did he disclose these meeting, this meeting, to?
when he filled out his form applying for a security clearance. If he intentionally left it off, that's a crime. It's not a crime if he simply forgot or made a mistake. This meeting, though, certainly seems pretty dramatic, even in the context of a dramatic campaign. The idea that he simply forgot about it strikes me as probably a little hard to believe. Okay, fine. So he's going after Jared, but Donald Trump Jr. didn't break any laws, as far as we know. Even Jeffrey Tubin's admitting that. So this defense that it's not illegal is correct. I point out once again, illegal does not mean moral. Okay, so if, if, if it's not illegal, that doesn't mean that he did something good. And it also doesn't mean he didn't do something that could get his dad impeached. So Democrats were going to try to impeach Trump no matter what, but this does not help. Okay, approach number two is the what about as I talked about at the top of the show, and that is the what about Obama, right? What about Obama? And here is Ted Cruz talking about President Obama and why it is the media are ignoring all this stuff. I think that we have had eight years of Barack Obama showing nothing but appeasement towards Russia. Okay, and that is 100% true. The question is, the question is, what kind of whataboutism are we going to engage in? So I think that it is fair to say to the media, you guys are hypocrites, right? Your over-the-top coverage of this just demonstrates how leftist you are. So the critique is not of Hillary so much as it is of the media coverage, right? Why is the media coverage so over-the-top about Trump? But when it, comes to, when it comes to Hillary Clinton, they were willing to brush all this stuff under the table. When it comes to Obama, they were willing to brush all this stuff under the table. That is an effective form of whataboutism. What is not an effective form is Donald Trump Jr. did something bad, but Hillary also did stuff that was bad, and that wasn't a big deal, so why should this be a big deal? Right? That is the kindergarten version that when your kid comes home and it turns out that they, that they did something bad, they say, well, Billy did it too. And you say, well, I don't care what Billy did. Why does that make any difference? You know, that's like, this is stuff that we learned when we were in kindergarten, but I just, we, we now have to relearn it in politics. Okay, so that is approach number two is what about the Democrats? Okay, the Democrats are terrible. Now, is this good? Right? That's still a question that, that has to be asked. And we have to decide that for ourselves. Is it something good? And I'm going to get to that in a second. Approach number three is, can we talk about the real issues, right? That is, this isn't that big a deal, right? The proportionality argument. This isn't that huge a deal. Okay, so they took a meeting. What's the big deal? Hillary Clinton did it about Ukraine. No one complained about that. Now, there are, there's one distinction, which is that the Ukrainian government is not adversarial to the United States the way the Russian government is. And the Russian government was indeed trying to intervene in the election, even in ways the Ukrainian government was not. But... Uh, this is not a bad line. So Sebastian Gorka, who's a White House foreign policy advisor, he says, why aren't we talking about like a huge news story that happened yesterday, which is the defeat of ISIS in Mosul? Don't you think it's time the American people were served by the media justly and you get to national security issues <laughs> like Mosul? Mr. We're, we're going to get to Mosul in one minute. Mr. Gorka, when? if... And he's right. When? <laughs> and the answer is never. They're never going to get to Mosul. So this, I think, is a good approach. I think Republicans should be saying to the media, why don't you cover this stuff? They should also be saying to Trump, dude, just ignore all of this. Say Mueller's investigating. It'll take its court. Like, I've been, I've been singing the same tune on this for months now. Okay, all Trump has to say is, sit on it. It'll take its course. It's being investigated. Don't worry about it. We'll get to it. Now, look at all this magnificent stuff I'm doing. Instead, what Trump does is he unleashes a tweet storm about the investigation. And then, at the end, he tacks on, and why don't you focus on Mosul? It doesn't work that way. He's the president. He gets to help set the agenda. If he is hiding in the White House for the past three days, he hasn't done any public events, instead of out there on the trail talking about Mosul, how are we supposed to know about Mosul? He is right. The media is adversarial to Trump. They want to destroy Trump. Hannity's destroy Trump media meme is not wrong. Okay, I think Sean's wrong on some stuff. I don't think he's wrong on this. I think the media do want to destroy Trump. But it is Trump's responsibility to fight back using the best tools at his disposal. And that is not, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to argue with Bob Mueller. It's, I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk about Mosul incessantly. 
I'm going to provide a counter narrative. And the counter narrative is we are doing things. Things are getting done. And the media won't talk about them because they'd prefer to distract you over here. Right? This is, I think, the best line that Republicans can use on this. And also, we're going to be as transparent as we can be. Okay. Then there is the final approach. And this is the most morally perilous approach. Okay. This is an approach taken by my good friend John Nolte. Now, we published Nolte uh, over at Daily Wire. And one of the reasons I like publishing Nolte, even though we have almost polar opposite opinions on these issues is because Nolte is very clear about what he wants, right? Nolte does not try to hide the ball. John is an honest guy. He's honest enough to acknowledge what his argument is and the ramifications of that argument. So I want to read to you from Nolte's piece today on this, on this story. So he says, the worse the Donald Trump Jr. scandal gets, the more I know Republican voters chose the right guy to run against Hillary Clinton in 2016. At first, it looked as though the meeting in the question was something over, t- over something touchy-feely like adoption. Upon hearing that, my first thought was, wait, You've just secured the nomination, and the first thing you do is pull the campaign manager and Donald Whisperer into a meeting about adoption? Are you insane? No kidding, I was furious. Hey, when the future of the country is at stake, and you are up against the unholy trinity of the Clinton machine, the entire mainstream media complex, and their butthurt allies in Never Trump, there is no time to waste. But then the truth came out. We learned that the meeting was set up in the hopes of receiving information from the Russian government that would ensure Hillary Clinton never, ever, ever became president, and my faith in the epic badassery of Team Trump was restored, maybe even bolstered. Okay, this is why I love John. I love John because John just says what he thinks, right? He's not going to try and hide it. So a lot of people on the right will deny that this is what they think, but what John says is actually indicative of a large percentage of what Republicans think. He says, Trump world is populated with people who will do anything, anything to win, and as long as it remains legal, those are my kind of Republicans. Oh, grow up. Seriously, y'all, grow the hell up. I understand there are a lot of people who listen to the show who agree with this perspective. The reason I disagree with this perspective is because I think that it, it does walk into dicey moral territory. And I'm sorry to bring up things like principles and morality in the context of this, but I thought that politics was about upholding principle. Now, you can say my chief principle is beating Hillary Clinton, but there are still rules of engagement. So, for example, I assume that John would not be in favor of somebody walking into Hillary Clinton's office and shooting her to stop her from becoming president. Even if she's the existential threat John thinks she was to the country, I'm fairly certain that John is not in favor of the use of violence. My guess is that there would be other things that John would not be in favor of. Like if you were going to set Hillary Clinton up in some sort of sexual peccadillo sting, right? you you were going to entice her into something, John might find that abhorrent. Maybe not, maybe not. But I think that we need to know what the rules of engagement are because otherwise we're going to get into some pretty dicey territory. However evil you say your opponent is, however destructive you say your opponent is, that helps justify whatever action you take. What makes a person immoral is when your means are not geared to your end. So someone cuts you off in traffic, you get out of your car, and you beat them to death with a baseball bat. This makes you an immoral, evil person because the consequence did not meet the, the, the bad act, right? Someone cut you off in traffic does not merit being beaten to death with a baseball bat. Now, someone attempts to kill your child, that merits you beating them to death with a baseball bat, right? So the same act can be moral or immoral based on what it is done in response to. The problem is that in politics, we are now reaching the point where the most political benefit can be gained If you say, my political enemy is Hitler, my political enemy is the worst person ever, but that also means that you're going to be using outsized modes of of defeating that person, right? You're willing to now cooperate with one of the worst people on planet Earth, Vladimir Putin, in order to stop who you perceive to be the worst person on planet Earth, Hillary Clinton, right? Vladimir Putin is less threatening to you and less threatening to the world than Hillary Clinton, so Hillary Clinton must be stopped. That justifies anything and everything up to and including Russia, Russian involvement. Now, let's say, for example, and this is obviously not true, let's say that there was a situation where ISIS had some sort of damaging information on Hillary Clinton. She knew that they knew that she had chipped guns to them or something. And they went to the Trump campaign and they said, here's the information on Hillary Clinton. 
Would people on the right go along with that? Well, it depends how bad they think Hillary Clinton is, because maybe the means are okay in order to stop Hillary Clinton. Here's my view of Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton was a uniquely damaging figure in American public life. Hillary Clinton was a uniquely dangerous character. It's why I found her so unpalatable that I would not vote for either her or Donald Trump. Right? I did not. There, were, there was not a point in the campaign where I talked up Hillary Clinton. None. I thought Hillary Clinton was, would be a disaster for the country. I did not think Hillary Clinton, however, was Vladimir Putin, which means that the methods I was willing to use were restricted to things like truth and not cooperating with Russia and engaging in certain means that were, that were dedicated toward defeating her. Here's the truth. The easiest way to defeat Hillary Clinton was to side with Russia. The easiest way to defeat Hillary Clinton might have been to shoot her. But I wasn't in favor of any of those things because I think that's immoral. In politics, the easiest way to defeat somebody is to have no rules. This is why so many people on the right like Trump. But having no rules can be immoral if you are miscalibrating the threat of your opponent. Hillary Clinton is still an American. Hillary Clinton may be a bad, bad person. She may believe bad, bad things. She may want to do bad, bad things. But I still don't think that justifies cooperating with an enemy of the United States and Russia in order to take Hillary Clinton down, nor do I think it's necessary. Nor do I think it's necessary. I think Donald Trump very well could have taken down Hillary Clinton without Russia. How do I know that? Because I think that's what he did. I think that Donald Trump defeated her without colluding with Russia. So this, per- this bizarre perception by people that Donald Trump didn't collude with Russia. But if he tried to, that's awesome because it just shows how far he was willing to go. He didn't need to do that. Okay, that's like saying, I want to stop people from cutting me off in traffic. I beat him to death with a baseball bat. I didn't have to beat him to death with a baseball bat. I probably could have just yelled at him or flipped him off or maybe honked my horn. But I beat him to death with a baseball bat. And you know what? What makes me so cool is even if I didn't beat him to death with a baseball bat, I was willing to beat him to death with a baseball bat. No, the means have to be calibrated to the ends, and you also have to honestly judge this. Listen, me saying that I think Hillary Clinton is not Vladimir Putin is not talking up Hillary Clinton, but it shows how ridiculous our political discourse has become, that if I say something like that, people on my own side will say that this is me being soft on Hillary. I don't think that Hillary Clinton has to be Hitler in order to think that Hillary Clinton is a bad human being who never should have been within a thousand feet of the White House. And so that's, you know, so I think that we have to be very careful about this because our own mortal souls are in danger. And, and if you think that that's not at risk, if you think that we can be as bad as, as anybody else, if we can just use any means, then I ask where you draw the line. Because you're asking the left to draw some lines, so I would, I would ask for you to draw some moral lines yourself. Okay, time for things I like and then things I hate, and we'll do a little bit of Bible talk. Uh, but before we get to that, I first want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Upside.com. So, you travel for business. I travel for business a lot. When I travel for business, very often I'm traveling by myself, and, and the best way to get a loan ticket for business travel is at Upside.com. This is where they specialize. So, you go to Upside.com, and they will give you a bunch of different rates based on where you are flying, what time you're flying. They'll give you, uh, you know, different hotels. And then they give you these amazing discounts because they are, they are bundling your flight and your hotel. And by bundling that, they are getting you the lowest possible rate. But they give you something else too. When you experience that upside difference, they also give you an Amazon gift card every time you buy a trip. You get an, an Amazon gift card every time you buy a trip. The average Amazon gift card that you will receive is $150. Not everyone gets that. Some get more, some get less. But $150 is the average Amazon gift card that you get to you personally when you buy a business trip. So you go on, you use your company's credit card for your, for, for your business trip, and then you personally get the Amazon gift card, which, as I say, the average gift card that you get from working with Upside uh, is $150. It is the real deal. Try it right now, Upside.com. And when you use the promo code BEN, then you are guaranteed that you're going to get an Amazon gift card on your first trip. Again, the average gift card is $150. Upside.com is the better way to buy business travel. A minimum purchase is required, and you should see the site 
for complete details uh, and go check it out. Upside.com, the best way to travel. Okay, time for things I like, things I hate, and then we'll do a very, very brief Bible talk. So things I like. So uh, since we mentioned Joe Bluth, I just have to say Arrested Development. Have I ever recommended Arrested Development on the show before? Arrested Development is the funniest series that ever was filmed. Arrested Development is absolutely hilarious. Um, You have to have a very quirky sense of humor to get it. Job is maybe the best character uh, on the show. Job is the the, uh, the kind of... There there are three brothers. Uh, There is uh, Michael and... Is it Michael? Is that his name? Uh, And then Job. uh, And then... um, uh, What... Buster, that's right. Uh, and it's been probably a couple of years since I watched the show. Uh, and uh, there, it's just the cast is phenomenal, hilarious. It's full of references that you will end up using with your friends. Here is a clip for this is from the opening episode of Arrested Development when you first meet Joe Bluth. Uh, Job stands for George, and then his middle initial is O, and then it's so it's G, it's G O B Bluth, but he's called Job, which of course is a play on the fact that like everything bad in the world happens to Job in the course of the show. So here is here's G O B here's Job Bluth. This is Michael's oldest brother. Oh. Or Job. This is the magic trick, huh? Illusion, Michael. Mm. Trick is something a whore does for money. And there are kids standing right next to him in case you can't see it. Or cocaine. Job recently started the Alliance of Magicians, an organization that blackballs any performer who reveals a magician's secret. Hello, I'm Job Blue. As a magician, I can make a lot of things disappear. There are some things I can't make disappear. No, not that candy ball machine. (coughs) The Aztec tomb. A tomb? Or a box. Box is performing at an old age home. Oh, yes, well, excellent. Let's get you in the box. (laughs) There's a panel. Just flip it around, curl up behind it. Don't make any noise, all right? Ancient lore has it the Aztec gods put a curse on any man who dies. He's gone. George Michael was off from school for two weeks and was enjoying spending time with his uncle. I'm intercepting some telepathic energy that's telling me it's the... Eight of diamonds. That's amazingly close. Gee, I got it wrong. Well, I guess you won the shirt off my back. Okay, that's it's amazing. It's queen of diamonds on his chest. It's the queen of diamonds. No, no, no. Well, I, I had... But I mean, if that had been the actual card, I'm pretty sure I'd be almost too blown away. <laughs> the show's just amazing. It's a, it's a hilarious show. You should go check it out. Uh, the, the, the Netflix uh, Netflix did a, a fifth season, so there are four original seasons, and then it was not uh, three. Okay, so the fourth is the Netflix season. The original three seasons are great. I can't speak for the fourth season. I watched the first two episodes. They didn't hold up. I'll have to watch the rest of the season and tell you if it holds up, but it is just like, it, it's, it's a hysterically funny show. Okay, time for a thing that I hate. So Joan Walsh, who used to be the editor over at Salon.com, she was on the MSNBCs, and she said that Ivanka, who, as you recall, took Papa Trump's place at the G20, she sat in his seat, and people were like, wait a second, we didn't didn't elect Trump, so we get Ivanka in that seat. That's a decent criticism, but Joan Walsh makes a not-so-decent criticism. Here is her criticism of Ivanka Trump, which is legitimately the stupidest criticism of all time. I just have that was a very it's a pink dress with big big bows on on the elbows there's something incredibly ornamental that's not a dress that's made for work that's not a dress that's made to go out in the world and make a difference that is a dress that is designed to show off your girliness and you know God bless her show it off but don't then tell us that you're uh, crusading for an equal place for women at the table because you're not but you so you can't be a feminist and be girly at the same time you can be a feminist and be girly 
We all have our girly days, but I think showing up, taking your father's seat in a pink dress with big bows on the sleeves is really an interesting message. Really? Okay, maybe, maybe Joan Walsh should force Ivanka Trump to wear, I don't know, like a red cloak and maybe like a bonnet, right? And then she can like walk around in that and Joan can call her of Joan and then she can be known as of Joan. That would just be Ivanka Trump's name. Okay, this is how insane the feminist movement has become. So a woman so powerful that she sat in for the president of the United States at an international conference. She is not powerful because she has bows on her sleeve. And this is your lead critique, Joan Walsh. And then you wonder why we think feminists are a joke. We think feminists are a joke because of people like you, because that's ridiculous. Okay, that is insane. Women can look pretty and also be feminist at the same time. My wife does it every single day. She's super smoking hot and she wears... Pretty clothes a lot, and she is a doctor, as I have mentioned one bajillion times on this program. She is fully capable of being a feminist and dressing like a beautiful woman. Okay, this idea that you have to dress like a hag in order to be a feminist is not going to forward the feminist cause very much. Boy, oh boy, Joan Walsh. Woo! Okay, finally, uh, I'm going to do a quick, quick Bible talk. So, uh, this week uh, is the Jewish portion of uh, Pinchas from the Torah. Uh, there's a, as I say every week now, there is an associated portion from the, from the prophets and the writings that we read every week as well. This one happens to be uh, from the book of Jeremiah. And this, of course, is one of the more famous verses from the book of Jeremiah. And it says, it says, uh, when I had not yet formed you in the womb, I knew you. And... Uh, and when you had not yet emerged from the womb, I had appointed you a prophet to the nations, I made you. This is, of course, used by the pro-life movement to point out that your existence as a human being predates your emergence from the womb. Of course, that is true. The idea is that God provides you value from the very, very beginning. And God knows you as a human being from the very, very beginning. And you are predestined to have a certain skill set. But as we see all throughout Tanakh, as we see all throughout the Torah and the prophets and the writings... And the New Testament as well. Just because God has foreordained a particular, a particular job for you doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to fulfill it. So there are two points to be made here. One is that God knows you, and he knows you well enough to know what he expects of you. That's what it means. When it says, when I had formed you, in, when I had not yet formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew what to expect of you because I'm the one who created you. And I, I appointed you, and you had a responsibility. I made you a prophet to the nations. But we still have the choice whether to fulfill that responsibility ourselves. This is where that moral choice comes in. Because the fact is that Jeremiah could have decided not to fulfill that plan, and he would have been sinning against God in doing so. Right? This is the story of Jonah, when Jonah refuses to take God's message for, for at face value, and he tries to run away from God. He's unable to escape it, but he does have the choice to attempt to avoid it. Uh, we all have that choice, but that's a choice that we should not make because God knows us even better than we know ourselves. Okay, so we'll be back here tomorrow with all of the latest. Uh, I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 